So hopefully what starts happening here as we immerse more deeply in the land and the forests and the river and the meadows and grasses and trees and is that nature starts to allure our attention to almost call us out of ourselves or allow its influence to be felt and known. And we don't really have to do that much. Introducing all these various kinds of practices. That are really just different doorways, different ways to be in nature, with ourselves and with what's around us. And the more we get out of our own way, the more, the less self-preoccupied we are, the more this land can touch us and teach us and move us I spent 27 years coming back to this, these meadows and forests and hills. And every time there's just so much to be learnt, to be experienced. whether it was Emerson or Thoreau or one of those folks who said we could spend our life in a square mile of land and never, never, ever know know it in its entirety. Spend our life on this 165 acres and maybe feel the same way. As I mentioned yesterday, I had the good fortune of um, when I came to the States, of one of the first places I landed was here. And uh, growing up in England, up in the north, which is wild, but not very wild like this. It's cultivated and it's wild weather, wild people. And I 
you know, been practicing for some time, he'd probably been meditating for maybe not so long, a dozen years or so. And um, you know, been studying with various Buddhist teachers and different traditions and And uh, this phrase by the poet Kabir, he says, when the eyes and the ears are awake, even the leaves on the trees read like pages from the scriptures. When the eyes and the ears are awake. And I felt that when I came here and spent more time in nature in the wilderness here, that when we bring a quality of presence, awareness, mindfulness, then everything that we see, hear, taste, touch, feel is, is a teacher. Just like the Ute peoples were pointing to in that prayer that I read this morning. But we do have to some degree be quiet enough to listen And one of the reasons I teach these retreats is I feel like as a species, as a culture, society, we're not, we're, you know, as you know, we're speeding up, becoming screen-oriented, tech-addicted, indoor-living, busybodies. As my friend Wes calls us homo-shoppians. And when I first started teaching these retreats, I, I felt a little shy because in the, in, in the tradition, in the insight tradition I trained in, you know, retreats happen in there, indoors. That's where the real stuff happens. All that frolicking around in the woods is, you know, child's play. It's not the real stuff. Real stuff is indoors, suffering, <laughs> facing your existence. And I began to reflect on, you know, feeling a little, you know, why I was feeling self-conscious and a little shy about this this body of teaching. And I began to reflect on the tradition. The tradition is born from the woods. The Buddha was born in the forest, practiced in the forest, meditated in the forest, had significant insights and awakenings in the forest, attained awakening in the forest, lived in the forest, taught in the forest, died in the forest, would go to the forest when he got tired of his monks and nuns who uh, he found tiresome at times. And there's a beautiful long history of People, practitioners, yogis, yoginis, monks and nuns, monasteries, people going to the woods, to the forest, to the mountains, to the desert, to the caves. I just came back from teaching in Bhutan and was at the pleasure of, sort of every mountain and rock and 
place there is sacred and some great yogi has sat there at some point and so sitting in these caves that Padmasambhava who's the founder the sort of founding father of Tibetan Buddhism practiced in Bhutan had studied and um, you know I can see why the yogis went to the caves they're up high they have these beautiful vistas of the valleys and the mountains and powerful places to wake up to meditate to be present And so we're practicing in that lineage of people who go to the woods to listen, to learn, to grow. After many of the the Buddhist teachings, he would say, there are trees in the roots of trees. Go meditate there. Seek solace in the woods in the forest, yes, lest ye regret it later. There are the trees and the roots of the trees. So I saw a few of you when I was meandering, seeing you sitting by trees and the roots of trees, and I thought, oh, we're carrying on a very long 2,600-year-old tradition. I think there's something in us knows the the calling of the wild, uh, the jewels that are to be discovered here. It's a beautiful teaching in the in the Buddha's life story when he's. Uh, living his ascetic life and gets so weak from not eating, eating one rice, grain of rice a day and doing all these very harsh ascetic practices and got so weak he couldn't stand up and he couldn't practice and he realized that was just a waste of time. He had to take care of the body and he had this memory of when he was a child and he was watching his father ceremonially do the first planting of the rice in the fields and he was sitting under this rose apple tree and he naturally went into a state of meditation or meditative presence where he felt balanced, composed, awake, clear, steady and he realized, oh this that that quality of presence that's that's the door that's the pathway here towards waking up not denying and, and torturing the body and i don't think it's insignificant that he had that insight or that understanding or experience sitting outside on a hillside under a tree and just seeing how when we do that in nature, it brings forth, or can bring forth, a very natural quality of presence, of relaxed wakefulness, of embodied attention.
So when we sit indoors, as beautiful as it can be sitting indoors with the stillness and the silence and all of that, we're very much under the influence of our mind because the mind is the biggest, biggest stimuli in that setting. And we all have crazy minds, so that can be problematic (laughs) unless they're really well trained. Whereas we come outside, however badly trained your mind is, we feel the influence of this vast landscape of mountains, sky, earth, rocks, trees, grasses, birds, animals. And that exerts, can exert a greater influence on our being, on our body, on our heart, on our mind on awareness, just like we're sitting here in this beautiful afternoon light and the and that line from that Ute prayer, earth teach me stillness as the grasses are stilled with light. Right, right now, the grasses are stilled with light. And what does that do when we take in the still grasses? Is it, it evokes some resonant quality of stillness within ourselves? When we feel the silence of a landscape, we feel our own inner silence. So for many people, if not most people, mindfulness practice is hard work. Paying attention, being present, staying interested and connected with what's happening, working with your mind and the hindrances and thoughts and it seems like we have to apply apply a fair amount of effort to just be here because the mind seems to be always wanting to pull us anywhere but here for some weird reason well some evolutionarily caused reasons but not just that But when we come outside, you know, when I, what I noticed when I, I was writing Awake in the Wild book and I was just reflecting on like, what, what is this practice of meditation outdoors? And, and it came very clear that there's this beautiful circle of influence where as we learn to cultivate attention, uh, oh, sorry, let me backtrack. As we go outside, our attention, which is normally wrapped up in our you know, narrative, ruminating brain, gets pulled into the sensory world. The light, the colors, the grasses. And where's all that happening? This isn't happening in the past. This isn't happening in my imagined future where we spend most of our time. It's happening here. It pulls us into the visceral, living, waking present. Mindfulness is present moment awareness. Nature massively supports present moment awareness because it allures our attention here. I think of these nature retreats 
they're not exactly cheating, but it's sort of like, sort of, because it's just be present. Well, that's easy. I just take a walk. Why would I not want to be present here? Why would I want to be thinking about my office problems and my relationship dramas when grasses are stilled with light? So, so part of the practice is we're letting ourselves be allured, drawn, invited, pulled into the present through our senses, through our body. Like today we hear the howling wind and that pulls here in consciousness. We feel the cold wind on our face and we feel that sensing consciousness. We feel an ant crawling up our leg, we feel sensing consciousness. We inhale and take a breath and we smell the the sort of the straw that the, the fragrant air that's sort of perfumed with a little sort of grassiness and earthiness and straw and, and that invites uh, the olfactory consciousness smelling consciousness So we don't have to work so hard, we can just relax and notice what's here. And we just do that a million moments a day. What's here now? And now? And now what's calling attention now? And now? And now? We look at the flickering aspen leaves and we know seeing consciousness, a mindfulness of seeing, right, happening here. So allowing yourself to be allured. I love that word because it invites that quality of. Um, invitation, saying yes to the invitation. It's kind of a crime not to witness, not to pay attention, not to be awake. Some say the earth is wanting our attention, wanting to be known. So right now, just being mindful, notice what you're knowing, noticing what you're attending to, aside from what I'm saying, this beautiful backdrop that's going on, this panorama of this evening light and 
right now, what's alluring your attention? Sometimes I find it hard to speak and talk and because my attention is just so pulled into the beauty and the presence here. But it says Dharma talk on the schedule, so I have to say something. I mean, I could just give a silent teaching, like a Zen teaching. That would be fine by me. And another layer of that is, uh, as I mentioned this morning, our animal nature wakes up. Right? We're, we're animals. We tend to not think that that's our nature. We tend to think of ourselves as separate from the animal kingdom. You know, when there's, you know, there's signs outside the restaurant, no animals allowed, and the humans walk right past <laughs> in their entitled way. But, you know, when we come into the wilderness, the animal nature wakes up. We start to feel more alertness, partly because there's threat, there's predators, there's reason to be cautious. There's snakes and spiders and mountain lion and all kinds of things here. When I first was... I used to cook here for many years, and um, I would, there, there wasn't many retreats happening, so I'd have these long breaks where I'd be up here alone camping over, over in the woods over there, or by the river. And um, I got really mindful, because partly I was terrified. <laughs> Coming from England, the scariest, most poisonous thing we have in England is a ladybird, probably. Um, we don't really have much poisonous or all the predators have long gone. And, um, you know, coming up here, there's there's black bear, there's coyote, there's bobcat, there's lynx, there's mountain lion, there's snakes. And um, being alone up here was... I got really attentive <laughs> walking through the woods. Was really mindful of sounds and feeling those the back, the hairs on the back of the neck springing up at times. Usually, when I felt the presence of a another four-legged being. So notice that that part of you that wakes up with the alertness, right? And sometimes that can engender some fear, but also just notice how it that that it's a support for vigilance. And we can get a little hypervigilant, that's another thing, but we can also be a support for being really present, which is a sort of evolutionary survival mechanism, right? So as long as we can soothe the nervous system, we can use that alertness like taking a walk at night, which I highly recommend, especially with the, the new moon. You go turn your flashlight off and just go for a walk in the dark. That'll get you present, especially if you have a little anxiety about the dark, which many of us do. Maybe we'll take a night walk together. 
remember this funny time when I was camping in these those canvas tents and um, th- and feeling that partly the illusion the illusion of safety that a tent provides or I'm safe in my tent the bears won't get me in here <laughs> you know some it's, it's like candy wrappers for the you know predators you know Ooh. and um, I shouldn't say that because I don't worry <laughs> We don't. We never see predators here. Just FYI, you do. You're lucky, but um, and I got really uh, afraid in that one night because I kept hearing these sounds and I was convinced it was a bear or a lion or something. And and and, and I was aware that this that the tent had this create this sense of duality of me in here and the world, the scary world out there. And I learned to resolve that by sleeping outside. I just took my bed outside. And it's just like, oh, there's no out there. It's just, we're all here. And some of the whole fear just really softened. So if you feel like camping out, you know, taking your bed outside, this is a very good place to do it. Amazing Milky Way vistas at night, as like there was last night. And then sometimes we walking around and we and we come across creatures that beautifully embody the qualities we're practicing here, like the deer that were in the lower meadow there. Um, came across a family of grouse up the road. Um, and there's a sense of you know, most creatures in the wild have this beautiful balance of relaxedness and alertness. Like the deer, super aware, super vigilant. And also relaxed, and they'll, you know, they'll grip when they hear something. There'll be alarm, and they'll flex their muscles, or jump, or move, and then they'll shake the the trauma out, the fear out, and then back to stillness, eating, grazing. So watching animals move through a landscape is a beautiful embodiment of this relaxed, poise, equipoise, alert, still. So we can learn a lot from these beings here. And I was teaching a, a day-long retreat recently at Spirit Rock outside. This beautiful red-tailed hawk come sit with us for a good chunk of the day, just sitting right above where we were uh, meditating, which is very odd behavior for a, for a red tail. And... Um, just beautiful again to see that incredibly vibrantly alert presence, hawk like presence. So, so notice as you go through these days what's inviting your attention, what's alluring awareness. How easy that comes forth when you just relaxed and curious sitting, walking, wherever you are. And then another, there's some, all kinds of qualities arise uh, that, that are both beautiful to experience and also supportive of the meditative journey. Right? So in, in, in the meditation training, we're cultivating qualities of samadhi, 
relaxation, alertness, embodiment, presence, stillness, focus, calm, well-being. We can experience these, again, quite naturally. We don't have to work so hard. One of the great supports for our nervous system, for our over-stimulated, activated vagus nerve, which is very much on sort of hypervigilance in our lives with all the stimulation, the emails, and the city life. And I just came from New York yesterday teaching and talk about over-hyperstimulation for the nervous system and the vagus nerve, like just so much intensity, people, stimulus. And then we come here and there's a um, the, 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 some of the neuro... Uh, science research on the, the, the effects of meditation in nature. Um, one of the reasons why nature is, is, is good for us is because in the city, because we're not used to growing up in cities, it engages our attention, but it, it's, uh, our attention gets exhausted by that level of stimulation. But when we come into nature, because this stimulus stimuli is so, you know, we've grown up in it for, for you know, millions of years. Um, I think, let's see if I can remember the phrase. It's a, um, uh, there's a phrase that they use. It's, it's engaging, but relaxing at the same time. It's not overstimulating, which is why we feel restored when we come outside. And one of the most obvious things we feel is a sense of ease or peace, especially in this kind of environment that's very tranquil for the most part. Again, so we can feel the influence. It's so wild that yesterday afternoon, I think it was yesterday afternoon, I was, no, it must have been the day before that, teaching in Central Park. And the frenziness of that, and then being here in the stillness, the peacefulness. And even if our mind's busy, that that's, that peacefulness is is influencing. And so, the more awake and aware we are, the more present we are, the more that that influence can rub off, touch us. Which is why the, the, the inner work, the mindfulness, awareness work, that's all supporting us to, in a way, be more open, more easily touched. You know, even in Central Park, after a couple of hours of sitting with these beautiful trees, there's a lot of sense of ease and peace. And there was a lot of other people in the park, you know, on their cell phones, on their, you know, headphones, being pretty busy. And I doubt that they were feeling the same quality of peacefulness because not generating the receptive conditions. I'm sure enjoying it and having a good time, maybe less so on the phone. The research shows that as soon as we get our phone out in nature, 
it completely counteracts the positive benefits. So I'm very happy we don't have our cell phones. So the poet Wendell Berry points to this beautifully in a poem that I'm sure some, many of you know. Uh, in his poem, uh, The Peace of Wild Things, and he says... Uh, I forget the first line, but when I wake up in the night in the least, at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may become, I go, and I go outside and lie down where the wood drake, it's a duck, where the wood drake rests his quiet beauty on the water and where the great heron feeds. I come into the presence of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So I come into the presence of wild things that aren't worrying about future grief. The wild things here are being wild things and being being here, looking for the next grain of seed, or next meal. <coughs> so this is a great gift you've given to yourself. Just being here, if we did nothing but just hung out here, that would be plenty. I should do a randomized control study. Group of meditators in nature and a group of people just doing nothing. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> well, anyhow, we are doing nothing. <laughs> We're all very busy doing nothing. So another important thing that happens when we come into the, into the outside, into the woods, into nature, as I was pointing to earlier today, is we have a bigger space, a bigger backdrop, a bigger perspective to hold ourselves, our experience. And living indoors, which we do most of the time, you know, it's like our psyche is bouncing off the walls. And there's not a lot of space, there's not a lot of perspective. And then we step outside, maybe you go for a walk at lunch at work, or you step outside of your house and you go in the garden or on your deck, or you walk down the street and look up at the sky. Or we suddenly have a bigger space in which to hold experience. There was a time when I, it was really hard for me to be indoors. I felt so much uh, I don't know what the word is, so much ease and naturalness outside. Being inside felt very confining, very unnatural. 
very restrictive. I don't have that same pressure anymore, but I did for many years and I had to mostly be outside. Sit outside, work outside. Because I guess I didn't have so much inner space. I needed that space to find a sense of ease. So our practice here is a doorway for many things. It's a doorway into, into stillness, the influence of the stillness of the landscape, doorway to peace, doorway to silence. Even though, as we can hear now, that nature is never quiet, there's always a lot of sound. But yet, in, with, even within that sound, there's a quality of silence here that pervades the sound pervades the stillness that we can access. And when we touch that inside, or we touch that outside, it evokes something within us. Right? Silence is, you know, I think for all mystics, the silence is a doorway into deeper presence, deeper understanding. So of course that, in, that, uh, that invites our mind to be silent, right? The busiest, loudest thing usually is this thing in here. Right? So the more we can attune to what's around us, the silence and stillness, you know, mind can get quiet. And then as we were pointing to a little yesterday, you know, being out here, it's such a beautiful doorway for the heart to feel delight, to feel awe, to feel wonder, to feel beauty, to feel joy, to feel happiness. Even if the inner life is not necessarily so buoyant, we can just be touched by so many things and it just gladdens the heart. We may see a red-throated hummingbird or coming across that family of grouse today and just you know, the sweetness or walking down the river and just seeing the beautiful light on the water. Or, you know, so many things just gladden, gladden, touch us. But of course we have to be present. We can take a long walk here but if we're more, you know, caught up in our own minds and stories, which we can be quite easily, caught up in our agitated emotional state, it's hard to receive. So the meditation training, the inner work, is really just supporting whatever's interfering with being able to simply abide in here in a relaxed, natural way with presence and openness. So really make use of this opportunity. This, these retreats are rare, precious little uh, windows, usually in the midst of, you know, usually a quite a full, busy life. So really giving yourself to it, putting down whatever you're trying to figure out and whatever residue or impact from your life. See if you can 
pause that to some degree. Of course, it's going to be impacting, but to not get so swept up in it. And then maybe asking for yourself, what, what, what sparks joy in you? What sparks delight? What gladdens your heart? That's a really important question. You know, our uh, survival circuitry is negatively oriented, negatively biased. So we need to make a conscious effort to shift our attention, to notice that which is not fearful, not threatening, not problematic, that's uplifting and sweet and beautiful. And then consciously turning the attention there, letting yourself savor it. Rick Hansen, the psychologist, talks about savoring. It takes 20 seconds to really let in a positive experience. So when you're looking at you know, the light in these ponderosas or the grasses or flight of a bird or the aspen leaves or whatever it is that's touching you, let yourself pause and really drink it in. And just be with it, feel it, breathe with it. Normally, we, you know, in our lives, we're busy, we're rushing, and we see something beautiful. We go, oh, that's cool. We go back to our phone, we go back to our conversation. Oh, that's cool. And we don't actually really let it in. In retreat, you have a lot of time to just, oh, let me just be with this flickering aspen tree for some minutes, even. And then just noticing how that impacts your body, your nervous system, your heart. And then noticing what arises out of that. Maybe love, maybe gratitude, maybe appreciation, maybe wonder, maybe awe. All kind of whole array of beautiful qualities can arise when we have the space and the presence to just uh, let ourselves be touched. And so these these qualities are beautiful supports in our life, in our spiritual life, on our meditative journey. There's plenty of stress and suffering and struggle and angst. In our, in, internally, in our world, in our relationships. Right? So it's really important to also notice that which is not that struggle, which is not that pain, which is not that stress. And there's a lot that's not that. And to really drink it in when we can, because it's not always available. So I'm just pointing today to some of the qualities that can arise, some of the ways that we can attend, we can be present in a very relaxed way. 
particularly as I was pointing to earlier in the in the so-called in-between times all the times that we're not in formal meditation they're actually very rich times to explore these qualities of presence what Achan Buddha Dasa great Thai meditation master would call natural samadhi natural wakefulness So what I like about these nature retreats is a lot of time where you're sort of in between, as it were, formal practice. You're going to your tent, you're having an outdoor shower, how blissful is that? You're taking a stroll, you're lying in the hammock, you're sipping some tea, you're exploring the land, and there's just, just ways that you can learn to inhabit Abide in these qualities of presence. In the in the Satipatthana Sutta, where these mindfulness teachings come from, the, there's no mention of doing mindfulness. One enters and abides in awareness. One enters and abides in awareness through paying attention. One establishes and one cultivates and establishes awareness through paying attention, through relaxation, through alertness. So these qualities can arise quite naturally here when we, as I keep saying, get out of our own way and let it happen almost by itself. So let's just sit quietly for a few moments. Let those words dissolve and just notice what's here as you're taking in this last uh, rays of light. Well, now they've gone. to abide in natural awareness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.